All right. We are we are here, we are in the studio, and we are ready to tackle today's topics. And we're excited to be with you here at Biblos. We've been getting a lot of a lot of your your feedback and your 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 questions and observations that a lot of a lot of people around the country and around the world have made. So we want to we we're, we're excited to dive in today. I'm here with Brother Spencer, and we're just going to do it, aren't we? Let's do it. Awesome. Well, I, I love I love the dialogue. If you have questions. Um, you can you can send those questions to. That's going to be. Um, where do we send them? Nine one nine eight nine nine four one four two. Text Biblos. Give us your name, and um, we're excited to hear from you. We are excited. We actually had a, a young man. I think it's young man, a man named Gabriel from the Czech Republic. Gabriel, we got your feedback, man. We want to be a blessing to you. We're glad you're enjoying Biblos uh, all the way across the world, and so we want to we want to continue to talk about the stuff that's going to strengthen and edify the body of Christ. And and there's a host of other people, and send us your questions and your and your your perspectives, and we'll we'll be happy to tackle some things. I wanna I wanna insert a little observation there. What do we got? It's very intrigued. We we're looking over some of the numbers. And um, we noticed that our viewership on YouTube is 79% male. And a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys. That was very encouraging to me because um, we're going to talk a little bit today about denominations and different movements. There's a lot of movements out there that they're, they're seeing that men don't want to go to church. Yeah, there's a reason why. Yeah. We could spend a session talking about the feminization of the gospel. It'd be good. Yeah. Men are warriors. That's what we're made for. We're made to protect. We're made to conquer. God designed us to, to take dominion, and that's what that testosterone's for. It's not to put new rims on your car and... <laughs> Get you some little muscles from lifting weights in your in your room there to look like a tough guy. That's not what testosterone's for. It is for running the predator out of your life and that of your family, pushing back the adversary. Take that testosterone and clobber the devil with it, man. Yeah. Don't let predators get close. So there's nothing like a strong shepherd, a strong male influence that is also balanced with love and grace and kindness. There's no more potent combination. That's a big topic. Boy, it is. I I actually had we somebody I don't know who it was posted a clip of one of our services and it was preaching. Is at a conference? And there was I don't know thousands of comments, some it ranging from making fun of us for dancing and shouting to Oh, y'all are having good church. You're having high church. <laughs> so, you know, it was really impacting to people. But one statement that kept being repeated over and over and over again was, where do you get all those men from? Wow. Our church doesn't have men like that. And that that was true when I was in Roatan. In Roatan, um, the vast majority of pastors of churches were women. Men were out drunk and they were carousing. Yeah. They didn't want to go to church. They wanted to go play soccer. They wanted to go to the ball game. That's because denominalism has feminized. If you look at certain movements, I won't call names because I don't want to cast stones, but there's been movements where men got together and they supported each other. Well, men need support. I, I get it. But this turned into a weepy yeah, cry cry. Yeah. Everybody, cuddle time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we can't be having cuddle time. With, <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, sir. Um, 
but that's, you know, they would go and get in touch with their feelings. And it's like, there's a feminization to that. That is a very feminine thing. Um, I'm not saying men can't be in touch with their emotions. Probably need to get in touch with them. Praise God. You know, that's what a prayer room's for. That's what talking to God is about. And I, I do believe in being emotive, but I don't believe in just getting around and just talking about our feelings and getting down on our woes and <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, there's been a big push yeah. in that. And then when people preach, they're so scared to preach with authority. Yeah. They don't want to offend anybody. Maybe somebody that has money might get offended or maybe um, you know, somebody might take you wrong. You don't want to come across as too aggressive. Man, people... Donald Trump taught us the United States that they want good, bad, or ugly, whether you agree with him or not, they want someone who is going to cut through all of the talk yeah, and all the um, political correctness and be genuine. They need that strong voice in your life. I thank God for those voices in my life. Men masculine influences that stepped into the God-ordained role that they had. So what's happening is men are going to ball games, which ball games are simulated combat. Yeah, that's right. Our government knows that if we don't have an outlet, we're going to be shooting each other and fighting each other and stabbing each other and stealing from each other. So what they do is you can't go to war anymore like that. You know, people come from Vikings and tribal conquests and, you know, revolutions and just depending on which, what culture you come from. Well, now here you are in the civilized world and you're working your nine to five and you get your little Starbucks latte, but there's a little warrior still tucked away down inside. <laughs> and so if, and, and we're, we're wired for that. We are wired. We're supposed to protect our families. Men are supposed to protect their daughters and protect their sons and their wives and, and lead the family and seek the face of God. That's how men are wired. The man is the shepherd of the house, and he gives his life for the sheep. When you take that away, when you don't preach against the devil, when you don't come hard against sin, when you don't lift up your voice and rejoice and lead the way in worship, then then you lose something and people they'll go to fights, they'll go to ball games, they'll go to entertainment venues because they're being satisfied there. Yeah. But they need to be in church worshiping God and being men. As you were talking, I, I pulled up several articles, article after article after article that talked about how that the introduction of sports and the engagement of sports reduced criminal violence amongst men. Mm -hmm. We're doing something similar, except we're not engaging people in throwing a ball around. Um, we're engaging people in Bible study teaching. We're engaging people in door knocking. We're engaging people in pulling their families together and fighting for their wives. I think that's pretty cool that we've got 79% masculine men that doesn't mean there's another percentage that's not masculine men. It just means there's another percentage <laughs> women. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a real thing. It's a very real thing. I'll even say this. There's been Christians who have emphasized holiness, and when they do, they emphasize it as a negative towards women. Yeah. That you need to dress modest. You need to be this. You need to be that. You don't need to look like the world. And, and the Bible teaches that. But all things in balance, you know, before it ever says in First Timothy 2.9 that, that women would wear modest apparel and, and would um, not be adorned, Paul did tell Timothy that. Peter also said it in First Peter 3. But before he says that, he says, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Before yeah. God ever touched the women, he touched the men. And so if you're going to be gung-ho about modesty in women, you better be gung-ho about worship. That's good. Don't be sitting on the back knowing the latest sports score and checking your <clears throat> cell phone to watch the who won the Super Bowl and, and your 
your poor wife is up there trying to save the family and interceding for the kids and trying to love God. And you're back in the back counting the minutes before you can get out. That's not leading a family. That's being passive and that's fighting the wrong battle. So let's be masculine about the right things. Yeah. Let's fight for our families. Let's lead the charge. Powerful things happen when men pray. Powerful, powerful things happen when women pray. That's a message in and of itself. When women pray, the Bible says they gave birth. It opened the womb. Hannah cried out to God. God touched her. Sarah cried out. Rebecca cried out. And God touched them. But when men prayed, walls fell down. Nation shook. Mm, that'll preach. That's good. So let's be men. Let's love God. <laughs> That's a big topic. Yeah. We're going yeah. to get there one of these days. Yeah. One of the questions that came to us was, why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many denominations? And you can, you know, drive down the road on a typical Sunday morning, and when you drive, you got a church on every corner. Yeah. It's like every every imaginable group, every every imaginable persuasion. I was raised this way. They were raised that way. This group's raised this way, and a lot of times it's broken down by color. It's broken down by people group. So you have white churches, you have black churches, you have Hispanic churches, you have Trinitarian churches, Oneness churches, Pentecostal churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, Catholic churches, Greek Orthodox churches. And that's before we even get into synagogues and mosques and everything else. So where's all the denominations come from? It's a good question. Um, <clears throat> and then the, the, the next question after that was, how do we know ours is the truth? Big questions. Let's, let's dive, into, dive into those. Um, let's, stay, let, let's stick within Christianity. I won't tackle the synagogues and the mosques today. Let's tackle... Just Christianity, just what's called Christianity. Why are there so many? Why do people have such varied belief systems? And right now, you know, I mean, there's humongous shifts going on in what is called Christianity from ordaining gay priests, gay and lesbian priests, to, um, you know, not doing that. <clears throat> um Social movements that are, you know, there, there, there are people who think the church should just feed homeless people. That's all they should do, just like a Kiwanis club. And, you know, interestingly, Jesus forbade that. There's a place where a woman came in with a, an alabaster box. She broke it. She anointed the feet of Jesus. She washed his feet with her hair and someone was standing there and said, to what purpose is this great waste? Wound up being Judas. And they looked down on the woman. And Jesus says to Simon and to Judas, um, you know, since I came in here, you haven't anointed my feet. You haven't, you haven't washed my feet. You haven't anointed me. But this woman has not ceased to do it. And then he said, he that is forgiven much, the same loveth much. A beautiful portion of scripture. Um, but when the statement was made, why are you allowing her to waste this, this ointment, this precious liquid here in this box? And that's exactly how people view church and worship. It's a waste. Oh, why don't you do something worthwhile? Why don't you go feed somebody that doesn't have any food? Well, you can open up your door, drain every dollar out of your church and go down and feed the homeless in the biggest metro area. And you've just given a meal to people who many times are continually addicted. You never solved the problem. You just dealt with a branch. You never fixed the core problem. You didn't do one thing. You filled their belly for 30 minutes and that's it. Yeah. And so Jesus' statement was, the poor you always have with you, but me you don't always have. She has done this against my burial and against my, my death. She's come to anoint me. And so worship is not waste. Yeah. And <clears throat> by far the better idea is to worship 
serve God, teach people Bible studies, change them through the gospel, through the power of God, yeah. get them off their drugs, get them off of their addictions, get them out of promiscuity, get them out of unrighteousness, and they'll get a job. They will become a productive member of society. They will make good husbands, good wives. They'll have relationships. They'll have stable home lives, and that changes society, not yeah. going out and standing in a homeless line and doing that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Yeah. I love I love the scripture pertaining to the taking of the Lord's Supper when the question is asked, do you not have homes? Because we're not just in the business of feeding people, and that could carry over into a couple of other things. We're not just in the business of entertaining people. Yep. We're in the business of giving the word of God to people. That's it. And that stands in stark contrast to many denominations. Well, it's been dumbed down to where that's all they do now. In some cases, not all of them. But where do they come from? You know, because on the day of Pentecost, there was only one church. There was one church. Peter was the head apostle. There were 11 others that were there. And if you want to know what that church looked like, go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts will show you what the church looked like. That's a big problem. People want to go to a church and then make the Bible fit that church. Yeah. Well, after 2,000 years of commentaries and councils and explaining everything away, you've got a religious world that in many cases believes that every miracle in there is just a metaphor. Yeah. That Jesus didn't even actually exist in some cases. Everything's a metaphor. Everything's to be taken spiritually. They didn't really have their blind eyes open. They, they, they grew in their understanding. So when their eyes were open, it means they understood. And they, they explained it all the way to where the Bible doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, that, none of that's true. Blind eyes were opened. Lame legs did walk. People were raised from the dead. And... Not only do I believe that in the Bible, I have seen it with my eyes. And so, anyway, denominations came from that original group. You know, just for a very brief historical run-through, that original 12 that were there on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, they all received the Holy Ghost the same way. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Why doesn't your church speak with tongues? <clears throat> if they don't, you are doing something different. Yeah. People are worshiping Mary or praying to Mary as a mediator, but Mary got the Holy Ghost. Nobody ever prayed to Mary in the Bible. So Let's insert a little point there that when we use the term the original group, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. No, they try to claim that. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not. I had a, a history teacher in in school um, when I was in the sixth grade that um, she was a devout Catholic, and she spent several weeks um, teaching the history of the Catholic Church. Mm. And um, I got in trouble. <laughs> You're a good apostolic kid listening to this, aren't you? <laughs> I... Uh, I, I came across the question on a test, and the, the question was, um, from which church did all denominations originate? Oh, man. And I said, I said the day of Pentecost church. That's right. <laughs> no, they, they weren't going to go for that? I, I think I might have gotten an F, and uh, I actually had, if she's listening, I probably shouldn't say all this. Uh, I had quite a few run-ins in regards to um, who the original church was and what the original um, formalities looked like. Yeah. You know what they say in the South when you run into somebody like that? What do they say? Bless their heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know how so-and-so is. Bless their heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm going to make a statement here, and I'll try my best to explain what I'm talking about. A lot of people's problem with religion 
comes because they blame the wrong woman. That statement right there. We, we do a Bible study on the woman. Going back to Genesis 3.15 where God told the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Okay, that woman is not Eve. It's not Mary. It's not some high-profile woman in the Bible. That woman is God's covenant people. And it is Israel of the Old Testament. It is the church of the New Testament. And that's why there's all this bridal metaphor in the New Testament. Marriage supper of the Lamb. The, at the midnight cry, the bridegroom comes. There's a midnight cry, go ye out to meet him, the bridegroom cometh. Which is what's going to happen when the trumpet sounds. We're going to go meet the Lord in the air to ever be with the Lord. And the woman, God was so serious about the woman that when Israel would worship other gods, he viewed it as adultery, even to where he said, I'm writing a bill of divorcement to you. So it's covenantal language. The woman is a big deal, and we see that woman in Revelation 12. She has a crown of 12 stars. It represents the 12 stars of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, and she gives birth to a child. That child is Jesus. And the serpent comes after him, that old serpent, the devil. Now, this is all metaphor. It's highly metaphoric language. The Bible says that the dragon stood before the woman for to devour the child as soon as he was born. The child was uh, going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And then he was, as soon as he was born, he was caught up to God into his throne. Well, that's the resurrection. <clears throat> so that's the woman. But there's another woman. And she's the revelation 17 woman. Yeah. You now, don't want to be that woman. You don't want to be that woman. But this is all in the context of why are there so many denominations? That's the question I'm answering. Why are there so many denominations? In, in biblical terminology, it's because there's another woman. This is a profound thing in the Bible, and I'm happy to share it with you today. But the Bible would, would talk about, you know, it's the language of the prophets. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. It's the metaphors, the shadows, and the types. The Bible would say that the Holy Ghost, this signifying. When it says signify, that word literally means signify. God encodes his purpose in signs or shadows and types and metaphors, the vivid imagery of the scripture. And so when he wants to talk about his bride, Israel, or his bride, the church, she's a woman. And she's clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. That literally means she's living in the New Testament and she stands on the Old Testament. Yeah. Clothed with the sun means she's living in the New Testament. That's the truth. She's clothed with the truth. She's radiant. She's beautiful. She's majestic. The moon, which is the lesser light, which rules the night, which is the law. It's the, in, it's the lesser light. The gospel's the greater light. So if the gospel's the sun, the moon is the law. She stands on the law and she lives in the sun, clothed with the sun. That's the truth. That's the full light. There's no more shadows. Shadows are gone. Shadows were under with the moon out. Yeah. Now with the sun out, no more. We're, we're walking in complete light. That's this woman. And that's the bride. That's the church. The Revelation 17 woman is different. She is false religion. Some people say she's the Roman Catholic Church, and the reason they say that is because she is upon, she's, she's on a seven-headed dragon. The angel tells John the Revelator that that is a city that has seven hills. Let he that hath wisdom um, read. Let he that hath an ear hear. Um, and so the woman, this woman, this false woman, the Bible calls her a harlot. The angel told John, come, I will show you the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And it tells you that the waters are many people and that the dragon is a city that has seven heads. Well, that's Rome in that typography. And it's dealing with the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church brought in a lot of stuff that is not in your Bible. So to answer the question, why are there so many denominations? It takes a little while to get through it. But basically, in the 200 ADs and the 300 ADs, the, the second and third centuries, um, 
there were groups that broke off as as Hellenization of of that world gained traction, and as they continued to become more Greco-Roman, the Roman influence and the Greek influence, <clears throat> they call that Hellenization, the Romanization of the world. They, they were conquering the world. They were taking pagan tribes and bringing them into submission to Rome, and, and God used that. He, he used their roads to spread the gospel. The gospel went throughout all the world because of Roman conquest. And along with that influence came Romish doctrines that had nothing to do with the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And one of those doctrines was that there's more than one God. Now, there's no greater blasphemy to Jewish people or Muslims or the early church. There was only one God, period. And yeah. if, there's, if there's any distinction between the Father and the Son, it is that it is the distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And so whenever you see that, there, there are distinctions, but it's not two gods or two different persons. It's, it's the man, Christ Jesus, and it's the spirit of God. I want to I, I wanna insert something there because you mentioned that the Romans built roads. There were good things that came out of Roman yep. um, movements, Roman people. Um, but doing good things does not make you the woman. That's right. And there, there's a misconception that, well, look what they've done. Look what they've given. Do you know how much they've donated? Um, when we read of the Proverbs 31 woman, there is an application to apostolic women, Holy Ghost-filled women. Um, but there's also a, a description of um, the bride of Christ. Yes. And I was, I was reading, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. And I got down to verse 29. Many daughters have done virtuously, mm. but thou excellest them all. And Isn't that good? there are denominations that have done virtuous things. They've given money. They've helped the poor. They've sent Bibles to Africa. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you the woman. Okay. Revelation 13, 11. I, this is one of my favorite applications here. The Bible says that there arose a beast that was a lamb, had the horns of a lamb, but it spake with the voice of a dragon. My, my, my. Now, let's just unpack that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And so for all the hyper-literalists out there, they're waiting on an actual lamb to come crawling out of the woodwork. And, <laughs> come on, man. It's the, I, don't, I don't want to see that creature. No. Well, <laughs> when I was a kid, I would listen to Revelation at night, and I got to that verse where this little demon lamb came out. <laughs> and it's got horns and this eerie Revelation music. And, <laughs> and this echoey voice would say, here, let me pull it up. Here's, here's what I heard, this real eerie-sounding voice. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And I remember sitting there in my bed looking up at the ceiling, and when I heard that, I went, uh-oh, that thing's under my bed right now. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you got to live right. <laughs> oh, man. Mom and Dad were downstairs talking with some people from church. I came down crying because the demon <laughs> lamb was coming out of my closet or something. But, you know, I was a church kid. I didn't understand that this was eschatological imagery. This was apocalyptic literature. It was vivid on purpose. It was Hebrew literature. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get Revelation wrong. Yeah. So it's a lamb. It has the horns of a lamb. Literally, it's, it's a ram. Yeah. And, but it speaks with the voice of a dragon. What is that? That is a false religious system that does good works. Yeah. What's a dragon sound like? Yeah. It sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it sounds like the Trinity. Yes, it does. Uh, uh, a host of things. A host. Literally what it means. Here's what it means in essence. It means they will have the nature of the lamb, but their message will be satanic. That's right. That's what it means. So... And, and that's all the benevolent works of religion. It's 
doing good. It's orphanages. It's visiting the sick. It's, 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 it's a lamb. So it has the nature of a lamb. It's all the hospitals. It's all the good that it does. It's the giving nature of Satan designed to indoctrinate you with the voice of the dragon. So the message is satanic, but the works are there, and it looks like a lamb. So the way that John the Revelator saw it in picture form was like that. And that is, is what you're saying. All the good works that they did was specifically designed to, to win the confidence of the people and indoctrinate them with Romish doctrines. So back to the woman, back to the harlot. The reason she's a harlot is because she's not faithful to her husband. And, and she'll accept anything. And she wants your money. Yeah. So a hallmark of false religion is it wants your money. And it's not picky about who it embraces. There, there's something there. Because when you're looking at something that's clothed like a lamb. Yes. But when it, when it speaks, you find out there's something on the... on there's something different on the inside. That's not that far off from wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's also not that far off. The scripture talks about those that would clothe themselves in the wool of the sheep. Mm-hmm. And and that's not that far off. No. Because it's used for selfish gain. It's used for financial prosperity. It looks like a lamb, but on the inside, it's a dragon, it's a wolf. Predatory. Yeah. So all of those bad things, all the crimes, the holy wars, all of that came from the wrong woman. You're mad at the wrong woman. You're mad at the wrong woman. You're <laughs> mad at the harlot, not the bride. So everybody that says, oh, the church did all these terrible things, the church is the reason why all these bad things happen in history. No, no, it's not. The false church is. The That's harlot. Right. So when, when they went to, do, to Jerusalem to, to fight holy wars... Corrupt popes, corrupt kings did all of that. And they would promise these ignorant peasants that you'll, it's not too far about what imams do with terrorists today. We'll promise you paradise, 70 virgins, if you'll go blow yourself up. Well, back then, they promised them a place in heaven that that God would love them and embrace them if they gave their life in a holy cause. And they pick up a sword and go attack and, and the holy wars and, and the dark ages and people want to say, oh, see, the church did all these terrible atrocities. No, no, no. You're blaming the wrong woman. Mm. You're blaming the harlot. The Bible says that she's drunk with the blood of the saints. She sits on seven hills. She's clothed and decked in jewelry and finery and she's drunk. Mm. It's false religion at its worst. And so all of the wars, all of the murders, all of the inquisitions, how much innocent blood was spilled by the Roman Catholic Church. And almost all those denominations come from her. So the Bible says that she's not just a harlot, she's the mother of harlots. So she'll give birth to harlots. You just take that word harlot out and you insert denomination, and you got it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And what binds them all together, now this is going mm, to get some people, but it's the truth. The difference between the harlot and the wife is that the wife insists on one. Mm. 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 <laughs> and the harlot fights that. So I believe that the defining trait of the harlot is that she's Trinity. She has no problem with multiples. She'll pray to saints. She'll pray to whoever. She'll pray, uh, saints, just saints all over the place. And there's many people she'll enter into spiritual relationship with. And in all doing it, she's unfaithful to the one. But the bride, she knows there's one. That's something people don't realize. Monogamy and jealousy are all foreshadowings of oneness. They teach one God. And so if you say, oh, it doesn't matter, there's three and and, and there's not one, it, it, there has to be three. Well, the more you say that, the more you're aligning yourself with someone who doesn't mind having more than one partner. That's the harlot. That's so good. That's not very popular. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not knocking the individuals. I'm not saying that people are evil or, or you're evil if you're a part of a religious group that you know teaches or embraces this. What I'm saying is the vast majority of laymen and, and normal average people that are in these groups, they're precious people. They love God. They want to do good. Yeah. And that's the travesty of it because the harlot masquerades as the bride. Mm. And you got the wrong woman. She will allow multiple covenant partners in. She wants your money and she'll kill you. Sounds like you got woman problems. <laughs> <laughs> One crazy woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know some crazy men too. God help me. I'm going to be honest. That sounded a tad like a country song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could see it. Well, that's where denominations come from. It comes from, now that's all, I'm talking in metaphor right now. I'm talking in the language of revelation. But how, how, what does that practically look like? Well, the Roman Catholic Church formed their own church and they did it with federal money. So when Constantine put his federal approval on the church, with air quotes, he began to call the church a group that was not the church. So originally the church was thrown to the lions. They, they were mocked and ridiculed and killed and martyred in Colosseums for the first <clears throat> 250, 300 years of, of existence after, after uh, Jesus died, after the day of Pentecost, after the apostles. So when the Edict of Toleration was given. Constantine issues that. Then he makes it the official religion. They had forced conversion. Overnight. Yeah. Overnight, Rome said, if you're not a Christian, I'll kill you. And there's a problem with that. Because you don't join this woman. No. You're born into you're it. You're born into it. In fact, separation of church and state isn't something the United States came up with. Jesus did. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God, God what is God's. That are God's. That's, That's right. right. Jesus did that. Rome put it back together. So one day you're a weird little cult that will throw you to the lions. <laughs> the next day the emperor says, ah, okay, we changed it all. Now you're okay. Mm -hmm. And then three burly soldiers knock on your door and say, we're killing anybody that's not a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yeah. And right there, Joe Pagan says, yep. Joe Pagan. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. just happened. Yeah. Felt the spirit I'm come all over I'm me. a Christian. <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. <laughs> he healed my body. <laughs> Oh, it was forced conversion. And what yeah. they call it is the paganization of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Imagine the federal money of the government being put into your church. You know, I mean, we've got churches that we build. We build it with fundraising drives and tithing offering. And how many churches out there have been built with peanut brittle and bake sales and little grandmas working in their kitchen and labors of love and Oh, that's out the window. Now Rome comes down with the imperial might of Rome and, and turns churches into coliseums and turns them into priceless places of worship. Imagine if the United States government just came up and said, you know, we're going to build you a $4 billion church. Yeah. Bad idea. Oh, it is a bad idea, but that's exactly what happened. Imagine the coliseums you could build. Those coliseums weren't built by pious little worshipers. They were built by Rome. I forget which president it was that said one of the scariest statements is, we're from the government, and we're here to help. We're here to help. I'm pretty sure it was Ronald Reagan. Um, well, that's what they did. And overnight, they validated and justified a group of people who were not the real church. So now you've created a real church and a false church. You've created the harlot, and you've created the true church. Jesus formed that church. It was a group of 12 Jewish men, Hebrews, built upon the foundation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And 
Now you've got a Rome church that doesn't, does not care about that. It embraces all the false gods. It embraces polytheism. And that's where the Trinity comes from. The Trinity has its roots in polytheism. And so at, at the different councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, they, they put in creedal form, creedal language, that you have to obey the Trinity. Well, no Jewish believer, no original Christian would ever allow the Trinity into their life. That there's three people that are somehow mysteriously and mystically one. And, and they know it doesn't mathematically make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not in the Bible. Jesus never used it. The apostles never used it. So why in the world are we using it? If your wife is more than one person, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. <laughs> That's right. Well, and another prominent trait of that church is they will insist on being baptized in the name of the husband but the harlot won't take the husband's name. Mm. And that's why they baptize in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because to them, name doesn't matter. Had a guy say that one time. He said, ah, the name doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of semantics. I said, okay, so if your wife doesn't take your name, doesn't matter? And he went, oh, well, hold on, hold on. No, of course it matters. No, 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 it's semantics. Yeah. And he changed what he was saying because he saw that Covenantal, covenantal language means to take on the authority of the husband. You know, you preached on that. You preached a, a message that, that many have heard um, wired for oneness. Yeah. And you painted the picture that I, um, I'm not just wired to love my wife and not want her to go off and have coffee dates with anybody else because I'm some mean man. Mm -mm. I'm wired that way because my God's wired that way. That's exactly right. God said, I am jealous. Mm. One place he said, my name is jealous. I've had guys say, oh, I'm, I'm modern. I'm, I'm not jealous. I said, well, you better be because your God is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, those that false church, that Roman false church, they, they did indescribable things. Uh, they created the office of the Pope. And again, I am not criticizing people. There are many people in the Catholic Church that are precious, that are pious, that are sincere, that love God very much. There are even priests who, who mean well. So I'm not criticizing individuals. Many sisters that have done virtuously. That's right but they're not the woman. But thou excellest them all. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll say this. Catholics make the best Pentecostals. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. It's true, man. When you take that Catholic piety and, and, and sincerity and they truly believe what they believe and you couple that with the fire of Pentecost, man, they will change the world. And, and they're precious. But their doctrines and their underpinnings come from the wrong woman, the false woman. You know, when they when they took up arms to fight, Jesus told Peter, put your sword up. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight for it. Then why in the world are popes leaving, leading holy wars? Pick up your sword and go fight for Jesus. He doesn't need us to fight like that. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So anyway, the point I'm making during that time, from the 300s all the way up to 14 and 1500 till the Reformation and the advent of the printing press with Johannes Gutenberg, the rise of Protestantism. Read your history. Do your homework. Because during that time, the Catholic Church forbade you to have a Bible. You could not have a Bible. If they caught you with a Bible, they'd kill you. Mm -hmm. Now why? I know what they said. What they said was, it's a holy book, and you'll distort it. You can't be trusted with this. Yeah. Do we forget that the gospel came to fishermen, that it came to tax collectors, that it came to merchants, it came to the common man? Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and now you're going to hide it behind the ecclesiastical robes of Rome? Now, what they did was they took 
the Bible out of the hands of men. So when you see the angel coming to John and giving him a little book and saying, eat it, and he ate the book, the little book we believe is the Bible being translated to where common men could read it. Yeah. Up until that time, scrolls were big. Scrolls were as big as this table right here. Yeah. It took one man or, or, or sometimes several men to carry a full scroll. Yeah. And you had to house them in, in holy places. And, and that's a scripture too. It is. Eat the roll. That's right. That's right. Hot rolls. Flying rolls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so when he gave him the little book, we believe that is Johannes Gutenberg in the printing press. It put it into the hands of a man and men could eat it. The Bible says that in with John that it made his mouth sweet, but his belly was bitter. And the fact that a religious group would stop you from reading the Bible, if they caught you translating it, they would kill you. They tried to find Johannes Gutenberg. They tried to kill him. They tried They tried their best to kill him. He had to hide. If you read the history, there's an amazing book called Out of the Flames that you should take the time to read. It talks about how John Calvin tried his best to kill Michael Servetus. Mm -hmm. So if you're watching this, um, there's an amazing book. It's on Kindle. It's called Out of the Flames. It's the story of Michael Servetus. Whereas he was originally known in Spain, where he was influenced by Muslims and Jews, Miguel Cervantes. He anglicized his name to Michael Servetus to hide from John Calvin and from Ignatius Loyola and the Catholic Inquisition. And he risked life and limb to, and and so did Johannes Gutenberg, to put Bibles into the hands of common men. It created the Reformation. It created the Renaissance. Art exploded, science exploded, and religion exploded because men could finally read. It's called the Dark Ages. And the harlot is the one that did that. Yeah. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. Now, during that time, during that ignorance, they can't read. So they just, the Catholic Church just inserted stuff. Like, have you ever wondered why they baptize babies? Not one baby ever baptized in the Bible. Not one. They, they sprinkle people when they're baptized. Nobody was ever sprinkled in the Bible. Sprinkling was an Old Testament practice where they would sprinkle blood. Yeah. Around the tabernacle. That's the only place in the Bible that refers to sprinkling. But popes, because there were forced mass conversions, would cause the people to walk by and the pope would be up on the balcony and these people are filing by like cattle. And and the, the priest would let them file by and he would sprinkle in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Boy, what a way to expedite the process. Oh, man, just... We'll just you can just automate that stream system. that streamline that bad boy. Put, put little <laughs> sprinkler heads above the congregation. That's right. In the name of the Father. Yeah, Espiritu Santo. <laughs> Sprinkling them as they come, man. Just kicks the sprinkler system on yes, about that. Sir, we'll we'll just handle this thing right here. <laughs> well, my goodness, nobody in the Bible ever did that. Jesus never did that. The apostles never did that. They were buried with Jesus in baptism. That's why we insist on immersion. It has to be in the likeness of his death. And so sprinkling, where'd that come from? Where did the sale of indulgences come from? There's a little, a little, um, like it's like a little ditty that they came up with that when the, hold on, how's it go? When the copper hits, how's it go? When the copper hits, the plate, the soul from purgatory springs. When the penny hits the... Quick Google search and I got nothing. Yeah. It's it's a little ditty that history records. It's something like when the, when the coin hits the basket, the soul from purgatory springs. It's not, it's not, it rhymes actually. Yeah. But when they did that, when they said, when you pay money and you can get people out of hell, out of purgatory, rather, and you can actually buy your forgiveness of sins. So you can be Al Capone. Mm -hmm. You can be the biggest mobster, gangster, murderer, wait for the last five minutes of your life, drop a couple grand on the church, bam, instant access to heaven. That looks a lot like a lamb, but that sounds a lot like a dragon. Exactly right, man. That's the great harlot. She's covered in jewelry, and she's drunk with the blood of the saints. And she's for sale for a price. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Wrong woman. 
Yeah. You're blaming. If you think that the real church is responsible for holy wars, you are blaming the wrong woman. Don't be ignorant. Do your research. There is a real church. She's the bride. And she puts her sword up, and she heals, and she delivers, and she sets free. That's the church Jesus started, and that's the church he's coming back for. Woo! Feel my preach coming on right now. Mm. <laughs> so, well, when the sale of indulgences became wholesale, no pun intended, <laughs> then Martin Luther, he that was it. That's when he took his theses, nailed them to the church door he protested which made him a protestant that's when the protestant reformation came from that came the wesleyan brothers from that came the anabaptists from that came the the orthodox churches east and west all the doctrinal schisms that that emerged from that the denominations were born and in essence the harlots were born of the mother harlot all of them still embrace the Trinity. All of them still embrace multiple partners. And ecumenicism, actually, the Catholic Church recognizes anyone with the Trinity as a daughter. That should scare you. If every apostle was baptized in Jesus' name, why wouldn't you be baptized in Jesus' name? Why in the world? And the Catholic Church, here's the kicker, the Catholic Church freely admits they changed it. Mm. They admit the early church baptized in the name of Jesus, but now we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because we know more. No, you don't know more. The people that walked with Jesus, they know. <laughs> That's right. They lived with him for three and a half years. They got the world's greatest education, walking with the Lamb. Yeah. There's a good place you can actually find that information. It's a historical text called the Bible. <laughs> I saw a meme the other day that said, um, it said 365... It, it, it said um, something along the lines of, book for sale, 365 days of sermons, the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Mahaney used to say, you know, this Bible shed a lot of light on them commentaries you've been reading. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to know that we're not just saying this today because we're trying to rile people up and make them mad at us. We're actually called to say this. We are. In Matthew 22, go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. There's a marriage coming, and you want to make sure you're a part of the right woman. Boy, that's it. You can't meet the bridegroom if you're not part of the bride. You got to talk for just a second about what the bride is wearing and what the harlot's wearing. Well, in Revelation 12, she's clothed with the sun. Um, now, if you go into Song of Solomon, she's wearing the shoes. She's adorned. What exactly are you referring to? I'm referring to the fact that the harlot is covered in jewels and covered in an external um, ornamentation. Yeah. Yep. Scarlet robes, purple. A lot of say a lot of people say that that's the garments of the papacy. A lot of people believe that. Um and it even trickles down to the difference between apostolic women and and women that that are part of the world system. Yeah. That they adorn themselves in gold and 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 wear things according to the way society says to wear things whereas God's covenant people don't do that we don't adorn ourselves with gold and we wear modest clothing because we're part of the bride yeah we're faithful to the husband yeah um that's where denominations come from it comes from the split off of the roman catholic church and all the denominations that came out of that how do we know we're in the right one here's a simple way make sure your church looks like the book of acts how simple is that? Go to Acts chapter 2. Your church should look just like that. Yeah. They should be worshiping. They should be praying. They should be baptizing in Jesus' name. They should be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They should be breaking bread and fellowship, going house to house, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
That's what the church should look like. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then why? If every person spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, why doesn't your church? And that's why the apostolic church does that. That's how we know. I just want to bring something up a little bit off topic, but yeah, I want to go back just for a second to Proverbs 31. She is like the merchant's ship. She bringeth her food from afar. Mm. This woman's not looking for sustenance in what surrounds her. There's a sustenance that's coming from another shore. That's good. She's another woman. That's good. That's right. She's coming with heaven's bounty. Mm. Well, that vivid imagery lets us know who the bride is, who the false bride, the harlot is, and that's the difference. That's where denominations come from. The denominal world is drying up. Um, they don't worship. They don't have anything like the book of Acts. They are professional money managers. They, they do have many times a moral sense of, of goodness. Many of them mean well, but they are ultimately, it's ultimately a failing endeavor because they don't embrace the fire of Pentecost. And the church was always designed to have the fire of Pentecost. So that's the difference. That's how we know it is right. It's borne out by the book of Acts and by the apostles. Yeah. There's another question. Somebody asked a question. What do you say to people when they say, well, you were born into the church and you're indoctrinated? Yeah. <clears throat> well, one thing is you're not born into this church. <laughs> you're born again into this church. Yeah, that's true. It's true. You know, you have to have a, a rule of a basic foundational rule that you live by. And the Bible is that we're living in a postmodern world now that they want to question everything. And so they, they've been lied to about so many things. They, they are questioning things. And I'm not saying that's always bad. It's good to know what you believe, mm -hmm. but there is indoctrination. I believe in doctrine. I believe in putting the doctrine in, in somebody, in, into somebody. That's what a Bible study is. I want the doctrine of the apostles to be in my heart. So in that sense, we're supposed to do that. But there's also train up a child in the way that it should go. When it is old, it will not depart from it. You know, in the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 6, it said, teach it diligently unto thy children. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and as thou sittest at thy table, and you'll put it upon the doorposts of your hell house, you'll you'll bind it for a sign upon thine hand. It shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Mm -hmm. That indoctrination. That's good. So, one person's indoctrination is one person's education. That's good. I want to ask those people, do your kids talk with their mouths full? Yeah. Do they? Ah, no. put, yeah. That's indoctrination. Right there. Can't do that. Can't tell them that. You got to let them. Well, there's actually, in a, there, there is a school of thought that um, children are supposed to just find their own way. Well, take that to its furthest extreme. Yeah. You're and not a male or female. You you figure right. it out. You figure it out. And if you tell them they're a little girl, that's indoctrination. Yeah. So good luck with that argument. Yeah. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, Don't you go telling them not to shoot people. Yeah. How indoctrination. To, and how do we know shooting people's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because there's no there's no objective truth. That's right. If there's and that's the root of it. That's a world of problems. It is, and it's why we have all the chaos that we have. So you get what happens is you get a person who gets, they get a semester of freshman college and they take a world religion class. That's it. Now they're a pro. Now, now they know all <laughs> things and they have to go find their, their friends at church and tell them they're indoctrinated. Yeah. That's what they got to do. They got just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Who's indoctrinated? 
I would recommend. I would. I would contend that it's that person. Our our college campuses have been become indoctrination camps. Oh, brainwashing. So, and it really, it's it's about framing narratives. Okay, so what's a cult? Jesus had twelve guys that followed him around, and he taught them. Is that a cult? Yeah. Is that indoctrination? That key word there is cult, and it springs into words like cultivation. Mm-hmm. Culture. There's a separating factor. There's a there's a there's a separating it for the sake of producing fruitfulness. Yep. I'd venture to say we're supposed to look a little bit like that. We are. We are. Obviously, there are such a thing as cults. There is such a thing as indoctrination. If it's not of God, then we don't need to be teaching it. Right. Um, a hallmark hallmark of indoctrination is that you know people can't dialogue. They can't communicate. It's one of the reasons why we're doing Biblos. We want to educate. We want to dialogue. Send us your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to talk about them. We want to we want to bring it up on the air. You know, you said we don't want to get off into teaching things that in essence, are in the word of God. That's one of their arguments back toward us is they say, um, wait a minute, you don't uphold the Nicene Council? You're a cult. Yeah. You want to work for a Christian school? Yep. You got to sign this paper. Yep. Or you're in a cult. Well, think of this. Watch, watch how this works. People who embrace the Trinity are ultimately saying we endorse what the Catholic Church taught. That's right. Now, they will reject infant baptisms and sprinklings and sale of indulgences, but they hold on to the Trinity. And what they're basically saying is we will follow Tertullian and we will follow the post-apostolic fathers who never wrote scripture, who added stuff on in creedal languages, mm-hmm. and we will override Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the apostles. The Bible doesn't say we're built on the Council of Nicaea. It says we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we don't look at the Bible through the lens of the Roman Catholic Church or the Protestant Reformation. We look at the Bible as it is. So here's an example, and this is, I'll just give this quickly because we're running out of time. I give the analogy of the river. And... Where do you want to drink from it? Do you want to drink? Like if you go to the Mississippi River, do you want to go up? Um, it's running from me right now where the head springs come from, but it's up Minnesota, Canada, up there, up north. When it comes up out of the ground, it's clear. It's clean. You can stick your cup into the, into the water. You can drink that water. It's, it's, been, it's been purified. It's coming up out of the ground, and it flows. It flows nonstop, and it flows down through the northern United States. It flows down through the Midwest, Missouri, Mississippi, Tennessee, down through New Orleans, down to the Gulf of Mexico. And the question is, would you like to drink it there? Yeah. Which which one do you want to drink it from? Do you want to drink from the head springs? Do you want to drink from where it empties into the Gulf? Because when into the Gulf, there's hypodermic needles, there's sewage runoff, there's three-eyed fish, (laughs) there's dead bodies and old tires and pesticides and nitrogen fertilizers and you probably some radioactive stuff in there, you know, (laughs) and and that's what people are doing when they drink from denomination, when they drink from the commentaries that have flown down through the years, down through the Catholicism, down through the Protestant Reformations, down through the Ignatius Loyolas, down through the Martin Luthers, down through the John Calvins and the John and, and the Wesley brothers, Charles Wesley, and, and all of their writings, all of their influence. Like, the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. It's not there. Nobody ever confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart in the Bible. It's taught in Romans chapter 10. It's a description of the book of Acts. Yeah. But but they will just allow all these influences to form in their minds, and that's where they drink from. I want to go back to the original head springs, go back to Acts chapter 2, go back to where this thing bubbled up out of the ground, drop your cup, drop your bucket down into that water. And the Bible says, the Lord Jehovah is my strength. He's my song. 
He has also become my salvation. If you read that in Hebrew, it means he becomes my Jesus. Yeah. He becomes my Yeshua. And therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Literally, you'll draw waters out of the wells of Yeshua. If you don't know where to start, you better make sure you're drinking from the right place. Drink from the right place. Listen to the right woman. Song of Solomon 5.1. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, O friends, drink ye. Drink abundantly, O beloved. Mm. You better be drinking in the right place. Right place and loving the right woman. That's right. Love the church. Love the things of God. Well, that's all I got. Key takeaway. You're mad at the wrong woman. (laughs) Don't you be mad at us today. If you're mad at us, you're mad at the wrong woman. Well said. Well said. That's where denominations come from, guys. Take it, hear it, digest it. We love you. We'll see you next time.